2: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants Football Podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Dilotto. And today we got a special guest on the show. It's Eric Crocker, Crocky as you know him on Twitter. He came on board last year during this exact time of year. And when we heard the feedback to the show that when he after he was on, we were like we got to get him every year if we can. And so it's been a little back and forth. We tried to get him last week, but he had some technical difficulties on his end. And then I had some technical difficulties of mine, so it's been a little bit of phone tag. But here he is today to talk about the defensive backs, the corners and the safeties, two positions the Giants desperately need, two positions that are becoming more and more popular in every single NFL draft. You look at the history of the drafts, and teams are taking a lot more defensive backs. Why? Because it's a passing league. You need these guys. And so he's here to break down all defensive backs in the 2022 NFL draft. Before that, I just want to welcome him on. Croc, thanks for joining us again.
3: Man, thanks for having me on. I mean, anytime I get a chance to talk about defensive backs and stuff like that, I'm all for it.
2: Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Croc, former NFL player, cornerback, the guy is... May, may remind you of a voice you've heard recently, which I joked about with him before the podcast because he sounds a little bit like Shaheen Holloway. <laughs> I told him this last year. Look, Shaheen Holloway, obviously the coach from St. Peter's, who's now the coach of Seton Hall, got hired. Big big jump for him, which is awesome after their lead eight run. I told him this last year. He got, he's got he got a little bit of that Northeast Jersey vibe to him. No, I'm, I'm going to say
3: this. It's going to come off a little crazy. I got guys from New Jersey and New York City. you think we scared of anything? Did you think we run about guys trying to muscle us and tough us out?
2: Every time I see him on this pod, every time I see him talking, he ran that little fun for fun pro day that I saw on Twitter that he put out there where he's throwing passes. He's got that East Coast swag to him, so it's good to have him on.
3: That's good. Cool. You know, everything I hear about the East Coast, y'all got, like, you know, nice little swag. So I'm from California, you know, and I of myself on that. But uh, saying I, I got some East Coast swag, that's, that's, a, that's a positive in my opinion. It, is.
2: it should be taken as that. So let's talk a little cornerbacks, but I want to set the stage first before we do that. And I want to tell you this, and I'm sure you might already know this, Croc, but it sets it's pretty much, in my mind, what kind of sets up exactly what we're going to be looking for and talking about on this podcast. And that's the Giants defense moving to a completely different defensive system in 2022. Wink Martindale's on board, former Baltimore Ravens coordinator. So we expect, and I highly doubt we're going to be let down on this, a whole lot more cover one and a ton of man coverage on an island for these corners. So... If you can, Kroc, keep in mind the type of cornerbacks the Giants are looking for when evaluating this class and we ask about these players because that's what we're looking for. That's what I'm looking for, man coverage guys who can hold up with just middle field close safety looks. And so with that said, and you can you can look at it in that prism or not, who's your 1-1 one, one corner in this class? Do you have a 1-1? One, one, are you kind of back and forth on the big two? And how do you think that that cornerback would fit in Wink Martindale's man coverage heavy system?
3: You know, real quick to talk about his his system a little bit. One thing I think that's intriguing about what he did in Baltimore yeah. is I feel like all his corners were a little different, right? Like, yeah, Marcus Peters, like he played a lot of right. off coverage with his eyes. He'd read down concepts from that standpoint, then make plays. But then you have – you know, uh, Martin Humphrey, he play in a slot. He could play outside. He'd shadow guys, their best guy, play man on him. And then you have guys like Jimmy Smith. He's been more of the big body guy to really want to be physical at the line of scrimmage. So I think when you're looking at what he might be wanting to do with the New York Giants secondary, you can look at a few different options, I would say. And I don't know if there's just one thing that might fit more than the other. But we do know he likes to play a lot of man. And if that's the case, I think right now you're leaning more towards Derek Stingley Jr. out
2: of LSU. Ooh, Derek Stingley Jr. So talk a little bit about Derek Stingley and kind of the whole Stingley versus Sauce Garner debate and where you kind of feel with both of those players.
3: So here's the tough thing, and this crazy. I was just talking to my my big brother BJ about this. Uh, we we're talking about the cornerbacks. We don't know who Derek Stingley is. And I talked about him being like, you know, just the pure man coverage guy. When you watch him at LSU, especially his freshman year, when he excelled and played at an extremely high level, one of the best corners in the nation, it was easy to see press man, you know, run with guys very well, fluid. I mean, he, he trusts his speed. He's able to get in phase quick and get his head around and make plays on the ball. The ball skills were great. Like, he, he was terrific. And obviously, he had a tough time against Devontae Smith. Who didn't, right? Devontae Smith was tremendous. Not just – everybody thinks it was just his senior year when he didn't have guys like Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. Like, no, he led Alabama in receiving as a yeah. junior as well. So, he's been that big play guy. Obviously, he had multiple big games against – LSU and Derek Stingley. But aside from that, Stingley was as good as it gets from a technical standpoint, from a skill set standpoint, from a movement skill standpoint, he had everything you needed. Now, after that, he's dealt with multiple injuries. His sophomore year he dealt with injuries. His uh junior year, he dealt with injuries to the point where he ended up just kind of opting out the rest of the season. Uh the foot injury kind of held him out of a lot of things during the uh the draft process as well. So There are a lot of question marks with that and also what kind of led up with his play. His play wasn't as good as his freshman year. Why is that? You know, was there a lack of not really kind of being bought into whatever was going on at LSU, which after they won a national championship, you know, it's kind of went south a little bit. Losing the teams like UCLA, when you talk about them having sissy blue on and everything (laughs) else, your head coach, basically he's done. He's getting fired. You have all your players opting out left and right, Jamar Chase saying, you know what, I'm not even going to be a part of that. I'm opting out. I'm just going to say it's because of COVID when most of these guys don't <laughs> give a damn about COVID. So, you know, you start to see all these little things and how into the season was he? And I think from that standpoint, uh, there was a drop-off in his play a little bit, at least from what the expectations were for him. So, uh, you know, drafting the Derrick Stingley Jr., I just don't know exactly what version you're getting, but if he's the version that's locked in, and dialed in and ready to go, I think you're getting the best man to man cornerback in this class.
2: One thing interesting about Stingley that I just heard about recently, I think it was either in a conversation with you, Nick, or somebody else that we had on the podcast. I can't remember now. We do a bunch of these. The 437 he ran at his pro day recently, and some people had it clocked even lower, it came just like six weeks after him coming off of the rehab of that injury, which is the craziest part of that to show just the kind of next level elite athlete he is. Some people it takes like months to come off the rehab to then run at your best. And maybe that just isn't his best. Maybe his best is like four, three, one. He's just like that freakish of an athlete. But I just wanted to say that because somebody I remember somebody mentioned that to me and I thought it was such an interesting point about how he really didn't need much time after that rehab to just get right back out there and look like a elite athlete in this class.
3: Official, his official time was four 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 I believe, okay. which still fast. But even if, if and when I say official, like that's his like official uh, pro day time. But you know scouts are going to have him timed at different numbers. And right. if anyone had him timed at four three seven, well, he's flying, right? Like with his short amount of uh, preparation that he was able to have. Right. So most guys they have eight weeks to be able to prepare for the pro day or combine and all of that. He didn't have that much time to really get in there. And you know, work with someone on all the biomechanics of running and knee drive and things like that. He's just naturally a fast player. And I think that translates over to the film where when you watch him and how effortlessly he's able to get in phase with receivers and, and trust his speed, uh, that matches with what whatever the time is, whether it was four three seven or four four four, which is plenty fast enough as well.
1: Yeah, he was effortless just in his drills in general. So Crocky, I just got done watching both. Derek Stingley Jr. and Sauce Gardner. And Sauce Gardner is built up as the press man prototype. And I definitely understand why that narrative is surrounding him. But you brought up technique before. And I felt like there were some deficiencies with Sauce Gardner's technique, specifically with his footwork. Did you see that on film at all?
3: So here's the thing, man. When you when you start to get in these corners, and, and a lot of people, and I know one that we're going to talk about later is Zion McCollum. Like, tall, long guy. And I was a tall, long corner, and I understand kind of some of what my limitations were. Obviously, I wasn't like this elite athlete like uh, we've seen from uh, Sauce Gardner, who's able to go to the combine, run a four four one, you know, jumping very well, and all those things. But the taller you are in the long yard, like the longer your movements are, and sometimes with your feet, especially when you are going up against a receiver, that might be a little bit quicker, change of direction might be a little bit better. For every, you know. Two steps that guy takes, it, you only take like one. And that is in your short area quickness as well. So sometimes I think the, you know, the longer guys can kind of get caught in uh somewhat of a bind a little bit at the line of scrimmage, just uh trying to mirror and match the movement skills of a smaller guy. So there are things like that that you can sometimes see with a guy like Sauce Gardner. now, elite athlete right? Like he's spectacular from that standpoint. So it's not like it's something that's going to hurt him on a consistent basis. But if there's times where you're like, oh, that didn't look quite right. Probably a lot of it's just because of how he's kind of made up and built.
1: I can understand that for sure. And I just think it's an interesting debate between Derek Stingley Jr. and Sauce. I, I put Sauce over Derek Stingley Jr. in my final rankings. But you know, if the New York Giants come away at seven Croc with Derek Stingley Jr., would you do you think they should feel confident in this guy, or do you think the jury is kind of still out because we haven't seen really excellent film from him since 2019?
3: Right. I mean, and that's the big question, right? I'm I'm more comfortable with taking Sauce Gardner just because I'm more like certain of who he is, what he is, the player I'm getting, his, his skill set, you haven't had to deal with the injuries, the level of consistency, although he wasn't playing against the same level of competition. As Derek Stingley on a week in, week out basis. And I know people might, you know, well, they played against Alabama. And it's like, well, they, they kind of they play a lot of zone in that game, right? Playing against Alabama in the playoffs this past season. Mm-hmm. So you, you see those things, but you just know more about what you're what you're getting, right? Like I, I cover the 49ers, I'm a 49er fan. And week uh 18, there was an injury to or before that, there was an injury to Jimmy Garoppolo. And it's like, well, you traded for Trey Lance, third overall pick, you got to play him. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not playing Trey Lance in this must win game if I don't absolutely have to because of the unknown. At least with Jimmy Garoppolo, even if he has his deficiencies, we know who and what he is. And that's kind of how I feel about the situation with uh, the cornerbacks here, where Dingley, love his upside, love that. But man, I'm just, I'm not sure who I'm getting. Where, 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 with Sauce Gardner, I know exactly what I'm getting. I love his tenacity. I love his physicality. I think his zone eyes are terrific. I think his zone overall is probably uh, something that's a little bit more underrated with his game. I think people look at him and they just view him, oh, pure press man, guy, shadow guys, all that. And obviously, he, he does those things well. But I don't know if that's necessarily like his best strength, man. I mean, there was a game I was watching. matter of fact, it was, a, it was the playoff game against Alabama where – There's something that uh, I talk about when it it comes to cornerbacks. You know, you got to read your keys, right? You you have your act, all right, real quick, so I'm going to take you all to school just a little bit. So you have your act, and your act is your uh, A-A-K-T. And I learned this from this coach. I haven't really heard this outside of him, but your act is your A-A-K-T. And that's all him. He was always like, got to get your act right. Got to get your act right before you line up. And what that was is your assignment, your alignment, your key, and your technique. All right. And you got to know those things every time you line up. Well, I'm watching him and part of his keys was, okay, I'm reading two, right. And a lot of times in zones, you're, you're reading from two to one in most of them. And you know, if two goes away right now, then you're able to squeeze one and play more like, man, if two goes up the seam in and this is then do you have to sink or do you have to come, you know, depending on the zone that it is, whatever. Well, I'm watching this play and I watch it on TV, the TV copy first. And I see, uh, I see uh, uh, Sauce Gardner squeeze one, and that's good. All right, squeeze her out, and he king two, and the guy flares out. He breaks off a of one and makes the tackle for, like, loss on, on the play. It was a terrific play, and I was very impressed. Wow, great zone eyes. and you watch how he played it? And then I watched the All-22, and I'm like, wait a minute. They got a single high safety. He's squeezing one right now. I think he's in man coverage. You look at everybody else, I think they're in man But his eyes are so good and he's so aware of everything that's going on. He was able to still make a play on that where if he would stay with it, nobody would have knocked him for not being there in the flat. So it just shows kind of where his head is and his mindset and how he's able to see the field and how his eyes and his mind, everything is in the right place. Uh, That's one thing that really stood out to me. But even then, outside of that, when you talk about zone eyes and, and reading his keys and things like that, he was very consistent he was playing press and doing things like that or whether he was playing off as well.
2: Yeah, I love to hear it. I'm a big fan of Sauce Garner. If the Giants take him at five or seven overall, I'll be a happy person because I'm a believer in finding corners early in this draft. I'm a believer in corners being one of the premium positions in the NFL right now that a lot of people just at this point are starting to come around to. So with that said, Croc, if the Giants don't go corner in round one with Sauce or Stingley, and let's say they take... Thibodeau or one of these edges to go along with a tackle at five and seven when they're sitting on the board at 36 overall are there any corners that that have caught your attention outside of those big two that you think could be worthy of a first round grade but may slip into the second round but you think can be you know island man corners at the next level oh yeah
3: there's two guys that I just thought of right off the bat all right first is Roger McCraer cornerback out of all right I loved Roger McCrary. I mean loved him this reminds me of last year where um you know I love JC Warren he was my Cb1 but I thought the corner with the best film and scheme versatility was actually Greg Newsom out of uh Northwestern right and I know a lot of people have certain and stuff I had Newsom ahead of him well you know both solid corners whatever well when I watch a guy like uh, Roger McCrary, and you see the things that he's able to do from a pure man coverage standpoint. Terrific. I feel like he challenges himself. He's not scared of guys at the line of scrimmage. He runs vertically with guys extremely well. Uh, whether you play outside, inside, he can move in a slot if you need him to uh, shadow guys. We talked about how maybe uh, Mark uh, a Wink Martindale wants to, you know what? match-up, do match-up things, or some of the things that he did with Martin Humphrey. And I'm not saying that this guy Martin Humphrey, but just from the standpoint of he's not someone where you just have to play on the outside. He can play outside, he can play slot, wherever you need him to be, and he has really good man coverage skills and legit vertical speed to run with vertical pushing routes. Now, why I think he'll probably be there is because he didn't uh, – not, let's not start with the testing. Let's start with first how he measured in. 5'11", all right, cool. 186 pounds – Okay, you got a slight frame, but, you know, we, we can deal with that. But then he measured in with, like, sub-30-inch arm length. And there are some NFL teams that are going to just knock him just off of that, like won't draft him because he has, like, 29-inch arm length, right? Like they want 31. They want 32. In the perfect world, they'll be like 32. But 31, okay, whatever. A little bit over 30, uh, all right. You kind of cut it close. But under 30, they're going to have an issue with that. So I think that might almost like Then he goes to the combine and he runs a 4-5-5. Or whatever it was, and and that's not ideal for what you want to see from a guy who one isn't very big, two has those short ass arms, and then three now you know you have this light frame and everything, and you don't you're not showing the speed that maybe we see on film. Now, yeah, Crocker says I don't care about that. I think he ran more than well enough on film. My only pushback on myself and the way I view it is, I felt the same way about Damon Arnett, where I was like, man, really good film uh first-round grade uh in the sense of what I'm seeing, but because of the measurables, he's going to slide. I thought he'd be a, a third-round pick. I think maybe with everything that transpired with uh, the uh, Las Vegas Raiders, he might have been better viewed if they were taking, taking him in the third round. But just from that, that the, the top-end athletic uh, limitations, that might be a thing that how well does it translate. I think it translated extremely well watching him throughout the SEC. I mean, you can go back to previous year when he played against – um Jamar Chase, and he got beat down the sideline, but he was in good position. Jamar Chase just made a great play, and then he comes back. They try it again, and he picks off a pass because he's able to run vertically with this guy, and he was physical, and he was getting in his chest, so this guy was confident even though he has those short arms, so Roger McCreary, I think if you're talking about a chess piece and you're talking about second round, that's the first guy that comes to mind for me, and then the second guy is probably Kyrie Elam out of Florida. I mean, we're talking about big Fast, fluid mover, confident, you know, watching him against Alabama and how he was guarding Jameson Williams and, you know, just like, you know, like some of the things, the antics he did after plays and making plays on the ball. I don't know why he's not talked about as a top 15 pick. Uh, there's something I'm maybe missing. Maybe I need to watch more film on him. But that's a guy who, if he's there at 37, I think between those two guys, I think that's a win. I'd be very confident with what I'm getting from both of those corners.
1: Crocky first with Elam. I really like the film that I did see from Kyrie Elam. Like you said, long. He can play press man. He can play zone. Has good eyes. One thing that I saw though was there was some issue with tackling efficiency, and I don't know if it was a. a a lack of will or anything like that. I would never want to call a prospect out for anything like that. But I did see like some of his tackling was just very, very undisciplined. And there were times on his tape where I was like, oh man, you got to come away with that tackle. You know, you're relied upon. And then he just didn't. Was that something that you saw at all?
3: Uh, I'm not one to really make note about tackling. Like I remember a coach told me one time, like, man, we pay you guys to cover <laughs>
1: right?"
3: So I value the coverage skills first. And if everything I'm saying from a coverage skill standpoint, then cool. If if there is some issues with uh, tackling and I have similar grades on two guys, but one guy is just much more physical, and especially if it's depending on my scheme, if I'm covered too like say like Houston, Texans. If if I'm Houston, Texans and I know we run a lot of too high and we gotta come down, we're reading flats and things like that. You gotta come out and tackle running backs in the flats and things like that. If that's the case. Then I'm gonna definitely factor in the tackling ability much more. But if I'm a team like Baltimore was, or maybe what the Giants are gonna be now, and I want to play more man coverage, I'm not really I'm not really worried about the tackling. Like, can he tackle receivers if they catch the ball? Like, you know, if he's doing that, then cool. If you know, if it's just man, okay, tackle well, okay, good tackle there. Oh, he whiffed on this tackle, but he not be in that position a whole lot. I obviously I'll make note of it in my evaluation, but that won't be the reason why I don't draft a guy.
2: I hear Elam out of Florida, and the other player we were talking about is McCreary out of Auburn.
1: I have a question on McCreary too, because I feel like it is important because I loved his tape. And this is somebody who was shutting down some of the best receivers in the SEC over the last two seasons. I think he would make a good piece of Wink Martindale's system. But like you said, those sub, I think they might be sub 29 inches. The Giants already have somebody on the roster who who is sub 30 inches. I think he's in like the first or second percentile on arm length in Darnay Holmes. Do you think players with arm length that is that short, can they play outside? Because that's something that we talk about on this podcast. Like they get slapped with that slot label. And I'm wondering if they were to go McCreary, would they just be stuck with two guys who they wouldn't be comfortable playing on the boundary?
3: You know, I think McCreary will be kind of tagged with that slot. Uh, thing, right? I mean, w- once I saw his measurements at the senior ball, I was like, oh, damn, yeah. you're going to like that. Slot, right? Stamp it. But my thing is, when you watch it on film, did you have any thought in your head like, oh, man, he, he just can't play outside? He, you know, it's like, that never crossed my mind. I don't know if it crossed any of y'all's mind. Like, there are some guys where you feel like, you know what, it just might have a little bit more issues to where... I could see some things that might get him a little bit more if he's playing on the outside, but that that those thoughts never crossed my mind when watching him. Now, if you just feel like in general he's just going to be better in a slot in his space, and that's where you know that's where they project it, then awesome. But I didn't see an arm length issue on film. Again, I talked about how much he got in. Uh, Jamar Chase's chest when they played against each other, and I mean, it was a lot getting hands on, just uh, 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 and punching them up. So, you know, if you see a guy that's you know confident enough to get hands on a physical freak like Jamar Chase, I don't think the, the arm length was an issue. But the smarter people than me that make these decisions, they say it is, and I think there is something with the analytics when they talk about guys with sub 30 inch arms and things like that, is uh, guys that are drafted or there's only been like one guy first round I don't know there's all kind of weird analytic numbers out there that argue against my stance on it I, I just truly don't understand it
2: yeah I think it's interesting because you're banking and I know what you're saying from an analytic standpoint you're kind of banking on an outlier because there's been so few but I don't think that necessarily disqualifies him from being an outlier especially when you watch the film and you see that it's not an issue for him against SEC level receivers now that's the whole kind of projection thing here because it's like yeah, SEC receivers are good. They're the best in the nation, probably. Maybe I would say probably on as a whole, but they're not NFL level receivers. They're really not even close if you just look at it from that standpoint. So you get into projection game there. But like you said, I feel like the issue for Homes has been more like Homes. You know, he hasn't been able to make a home for himself on the outside. No pun intended. But the issue for me is when you watch Homes, he tends to get a little grabby. Um, but I don't think I saw that with McCreary. I haven't watched as much as you guys have on him, but if that's not the issue for him, I don't know if those arms are going to be arm. Like it's going to be an issue, but I, I think you made a great point with Ian that I didn't want to pass over to, you know, a lot of people focus. This is my biggest thing with the draft. So I think this is going to be every time I talk to you, Croc, I come away with something interesting. And this one's going to be for me, it's going to be stop focusing on tackling when it comes to evaluating cornerback play. Because no, it's yeah. true, though. But it's like, no, it's you want the guys who can cover, focus on what they can do. And I think that's the biggest thing in the draft. People focus too much on what a prospect can't do and not enough on what they can do well. And I think that's something I'm going to go back on Elam because he's someone I wasn't really considering for, for those reasons. Like I was like, oh, you know, he can't he has, has trouble tackling. Is he a complete prospect? But you want the complete coverage corner, I think, first. And I, I'm, I'm intrigued by both these players now, especially that you kind of have them both as like borderline ones. But just to transition a little bit, do you have anybody because this has been just a very value range. The third round of the NFL draft has been a big time range right now for finding corners that are at that are that end up being contributors on your team early on versus a lot of other positions that are taken in this round. that just don't contribute early tight end offensive tackle. These positions that are taken in the third round are just pure project picks, but these corners are starting to play early on. Obviously receivers one as well that you can find in round three, but how about kind of that, that round three range? So it's not really any of the top five guys, but maybe those guys who are talked about in the top 10, top 15 range that you think can be valuable contributors.
3: Oh, real quick. I do want to say one more thing about Kyrie Elam. get into it. But, um, what would be a bigger issue to me than tackling is yeah. if like your your uh, scheme is predicated maybe on someone playing off coverage and you feel like that's not a strength of his, right? Like mm-hmm. if he can't be a quarters type guy that has to play, you know, seven, eight yards off and he can't, you know, trigger and close on, on um, you know, underneath passes and his anticipation is poor or whatever. And it's like, well, we can only play him in press. If that's your takeaway, then I'd be much more worried with something like that as opposed to uh tackling Does right? That make sense?
2: yep makes a lot of sense
3: um but as far as uh you're saying third third round prospects type yeah guys? maybe
2: guys in maybe guys around your top 10 ish top 15 ish range but you think can kind of rise above that
3: oh man um i say this there there are gonna be a lot of people that are really high on tariq woollen
1: mm-hmm.
3: out of utsa i mean this is a guy who is a legit six foot four 205 pounds Ran a blazing 40 yard dash. I mean, just a, a physical freak specimen, all that. And I think fans are going to be enamored with that. NFL teams might have a coach like Eric Crocker that's like, you know what? I can coach this kid up, right? I can get him to, to lock in and understand it. But there's definitely a lot of rawness to his game. And, and I hate when people throw that out there like, oh, this guy's raw. And it's like, man, you don't know what the hell that means. Like, you guys say, <laughs> say anything is raw because the next person said it. But with him, he truly is like raw. There's, um, this newness to his game, his guy who was originally a receiver and converted to the cornerback position, hasn't really been playing it for a long time. And then also, you know, when you are new to to the cornerback position and as long as he is, it's hard to have that anticipation down, right? Like cornerback, a lot of it is about feel, And the more you just see routes, right? Like I've probably seen, I don't know, 2000 curl routes ran on me. Right. So like, after so long, you just get this feel and understanding of what it feels like to have this route, so you're able to better able to anticipate it, whereas someone who maybe doesn't have that many snaps at that position, they don't have that feel. They don't have that, like, I can notice a slight change in this guy's body when he's going to drop his weight and get in and out, right? So he's still, I think, working kind of develop that aspect of his game, and it's going to be more pivotal for a guy like him to, to have that because he is so long. We talked about a guy like Sauce Gardner who's a little over 6'2", Daniel's 6'3", and his long movements. Well, this guy is even longer than that. And not just longer than that, he isn't as skilled of a corner as a Sauce Gardner. So I think there are going to be a lot of fans that want this guy to go around third round, and I think he, he might, right? But he is more – I hate to say this word too, but he's more of a project, you know? Now, he's a guy who you, you can get out there and you see like, man, what does it look like? Can we get him to truly understand, you know, the ins and outs of playing the cornerback position? He has all this crazy freakish upside. Maybe we could put him in a scheme that just fits where, hey, just play at the line of scrimmage. But even then, he's there's still a lot to learn with playing the position. So I love the upside with him, but there are definitely some things I'm worried about. But I, I could see a guy like him going in the third round. Um, Another guy, I think Kobe Bryant, uh, he's kind of getting – outshined a little bit by sauce Gardner, you know, sauce Gardner, uh, obviously the, the highly regarded, uh, prospect out of the two, but Kobe Bryant, he was, you know, he was, uh, the Jim Thorpe award winner, like he won the work for best defensive back in the nation. And, you know, when you watch him play again, we talk about from the technique, it's pretty, it's pretty consistent. There was some notes. I don't remember exactly my notes on some of the things he did, but maybe opening the gate a little too soon, things like that. Trust your technique a little bit. Sometimes that comes from a guy who's not, Maybe the fastest guy and we saw him run his 40 yard dash. It was like mid four fives I believe four or five four to be exact. so uh, you would like to see a little bit faster than that. Uh, I don't know if they've had a pro day yet, but if so, I'm assuming they have I think everybody's had their pro days. How do you run at his pro day if he elected to run? I know we talked about Roger McCray running a four or five five well at his pro day he ran four four seven and you just feel more comfortable just seeing that on paper. I don't know if we've gotten upgraded n- numbers from Kobe Bryant. But from a technical standpoint, I think more times than not, he's pretty good. You talk about uh, versatility, playing the cornerback position, being able to press, being able to play off, being able to get in phase, get his head around, make plays on the ball. I think he did all those things extremely well. So, you know, I I see him going at some point day two. uh, If you're talking about late second to mid third round, I definitely see him going in that range. If he ends up sliding the early fourth round, I could see that as well. But I think if that's the case, teams might be overthinking
2: it just a little bit. One guy that I like that I want to get your take on that I think ultimately could fall to day three, but I don't think should. And I'll explain why I think he could. It's Marcus Jones, who I really liked. I feel like the 5'8", 174 Marcus Jones, people are going to be like, this is a day three guy. He just doesn't have the size and he's just a return man. And I know he's a dynamic returner, but when you watch him in man coverage just a little bit, you're like, this dude can hold up. Like this dude is a baller and he's tough. I like Marcus Jones a lot. I would. Ha- I know he's 5'8", 174. People don't like that. But what have you seen from him, and do you think he can be a corner at the next level or just just a return man?
3: If if he goes in day three, I would assume it's because people are worried about the, the double shoulder surgery
2: right, and, and, and not being able to get
3: testing numbers on him and his age. He kind of has that working against him. I believe he's 23 years old already, and then you talk about just the lack of height and, and wait you know he's just not the biggest guy but if you're just going off of the film this is a guy who is tremendous with his movement skills uh whether he's playing press where he's playing off the physicality uh you know y'all you know Nick had touched on his ta- tackling of Elam well you don't have to worry about this guy uh, yeah. Jones Marcus jones coming in making tackles from wherever he's lined up throwing his body around I think he does that at a very high level uh, from a movement skill standpoint, everything you want to see, everything you'd expect from a guy that is five eight, 175 pounds, but he moves extremely well with the quickness, foot, the twitch, his click and close, his anticipation, uh, I think his ability. There was one play I was watching him against SMU, and they got some guys that can run. I think he was guarding the receiver, uh, Denny Gray, and Denny Gray ran a post route, kind of stemmed him outside, and uh, you see Marcus, Marcus Jones playing off coverage. He opens up a little bit and a Gray just cuts across him and runs post. Well, now Marcus Jones has a, has to speed turn to stick with that. And, man, his speed turn, you talk about your feet, your hips, your anticipation all playing in sync. That, that, that was that play right there. I mean, he flipped got right back on that upfield shoulder and was in position to make a play on the ball. I mean, the ball skills as well, like, you know, his ability to, you know, the interceptions that you've seen him make, the plays on the ball, there's one where he's guarding Alec Pierce in the end zone and now he punches through and he rips it out, playing through the hands aggressive. Like there's a lot of very good things on film. So again, I, I don't want to be the one to tell him, Hey, you can't play outside because you got these short ass arms and you're only five foot eight, but just from, you know, a pure coverage ability and things like that, I think he checks all the boxes. Now, he also got dunked on by Danny Gray that game. I believe it was Danny Gray down the right sideline. So, you know, it's not like he's just perfect. But I think from a pure, you know, just coverage abilities, like, he's, I have him much higher than where I had Darnay Holmes coming out of UCLA.
1: I think Alec Pierce actually dunked on him later in that season He did, game. in the end zone. Yeah, yeah he yeah. did. He, he yeah. got him back.
3: But Alec Pierce, right, he's going to get paid too. I think mm-hmm. he's one of the better receiver prospects in this class, top 10, you know, for, for sure. Uh he's good, right? So it's like, okay, if it okay, I won this one, okay, you won that one. Now somebody might say, Well, this one's a touchdown. And it's like, well, that's just how you know, receiver they catch the ball, DBs, you know, you got another play to live, yeah, but it's a lot easier
2: receiver than a DB. Come on, right. But just seeing him be
3: able to compete, uh, with a guy like that, especially with the size difference, where you know, you got Alan Pierce, he's six three. And then you got Jones, he's 5'8". And it's like, well, he did break up this one, even though he lost on this rep. Those are things where it's like, man, you know, he got some, got some big time stuff.
1: He's a fierce competitor, Marcus Jones, that is. So I want to ask you about Cam Taylor Britt and Elante Taylor. Cam Taylor Britt out of Nebraska and Alante Taylor out of Tennessee. Have you had your eyes on them? And what do you think if you did?
3: I, I feel like I haven't watched enough of, 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 of Elante Taylor. Right, Delonte, the one from Tennessee, number two. I've i I've watched him, but I haven't got enough to where it's like, okay, this, these are what my notes are on him. I know my original takeaway was, man, he looks a lot of, like uh, Jalen Johnson out of Utah last okay. year. Well, I wasn't very high on Jalen Johnson, but you see the the rookie year that he had. I mean, he was really good for Chicago Bears. So that's a guy I wasn't as high on, but he went out, and he's played very well. Um, As far as Britt. I've, I've watched a little bit of him, and I think you talk about somebody that trusts their backpedal and their ability to kind of turn around with guys. I think he definitely challenges himself from that standpoint. Again, haven't watched a ton on them, but that was the one thing that jumped out to me immediately. Like, man, you know, whether I'm a quarters-type team, he 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 reminds me of, okay, this is another guy that played for the Giants. Uh, <laughs> cornerback at a Boston College. Uh,
2: BC corner. Wow, I can't believe um, I do uh, You're talking about Yadam. Yeah, yeah, oh, him. Yadam. Yadam.
3: So, Yadam. so he reminded me a lot of him. Like when I was watching just my initial takeaway where I'm like, man, I like Yadam's game. Like, you know, he has a good all-around skill set, nothing too flashy or anything that just just really pops. But just, okay, you can do some press. Okay, you can play some off. Okay, nice little turn and run. Okay, good feet in your back pillow. You're comfortable and confident with that. Those are some of the things I saw from Britt, but I, I got to watch a little bit more, though.
2: Yeah, I love it. I love it. We've talked a lot of players here, so I just want to recap so people can know. Obviously, Stingley and Sauce, you know where those guys are from. But Roger McCree at Auburn. We talked a little bit about Kyra Elam out of Florida. Those are two guys that Croc would target at 36. The Giants are looking for a corner. And some third-round guys we've talked about, Marcus Jones out of Houston, Cam Taylor, Britt, Nebraska, uh, Tyreek Woolen, UTSA. I want to ask you about one more player at the corner position. We can move on a little bit to another position. But it's a player who I don't think is getting a lot of buzz, but I like him. And I think he has a lot of upside because I like his length. I like his age profile. He's younger. I think he can play inside and outside, though. Right now, he seems like just a slot guy. But I think he plays above his weight class. And that's Cordell Flott out of LSU. I think that he's being underrated and a little bit slept on in this class. What are your thoughts on Flott? Have you seen any of him? And what do you think he projects at the next level?
3: Originally, I thought you were going with uh, McCollum here, but okay. let's talk about flat You know, like flat he is one of my favorite kind of under-the-radar prospects, so I'm glad you brought his name up. Uh, he's very slight, uh, real skinny guy. Now, the height is there. I believe he measured in around six foot, so he has that part, and the length is kind of there, but he's uh, under like 180 pounds. So you would like to see him weigh a little bit more, but fluid, uh, aggressive, can play outside, can play inside. I thought his his freshman year, along with uh, Derek Stingley, those were the two guys. I'm like, oh, man, this is the best tandem in college football. And then the injury started happening with Stingley and then Fly. It was kind of like whatever. Then nobody started paying attention to LSU after that. But I really like his skill set. And I think he can line up wherever you need him to line up. And I think he's a guy with the athletic profile to be able to really excel there. You know, you talked about Derek Singley Jr., his 40-yard dash and things like that. I believe Floss numbers were all better uh, that day at their pro day. So uh, he's definitely someone who people should be talking about a little bit more as a, you know, a day two pick. If he goes to day three, maybe it's just because. He's really skinny, and if the analytical guys get in on it, they're like, well, how many corners have been six feet tall but right. under 180 pounds? Like, you know, how many good corners have there be? And there's probably, like, maybe one. So uh, that might he might have that working against him a little bit if the analytical guys have any control over his draft.
1: Yeah, you know, Flot's a name that I've heard a decent amount about that I need to watch. I watched Stingley, but I didn't pay attention to Flot at all. But before we switch to safety, Crocky, I want to ask you about Zion McCollum at a Sam Houston State. He's Kind of gaining a lot of buzz after a positive combine. What do you think of his tape?
3: Oh man, I mean, first of all, I, I I saw him at the senior bowl, but didn't really pay attention to him. And and I saw him run fast at the combine, still didn't pay attention to him really. And then I was in a we uh, might doing my YouTube show. And one of the 49er fans were like, oh, um, Zion McCollum is 6'4", 200 pounds. I'm like, not 6'4", it's like six feet tall. <laughs> and then I go and look and I'm like, oh, dang, like he is 6'4". <laughs> I think his official measurements was like almost 6'3", or something like that, but 200 pounds. And then I start looking at it and I'm like, wait a minute, is this, is this wrong? I'm, I'm looking at his short shuttle, his three cone, you know, the L drill, all that is vertical. And I'm like... There's got to be wrong. His three cone was the fastest I have ever seen in my life. I've never seen a three cone as fast as his in my life. So I had to see like, okay, maybe I'm tripping right now. Then I see his L drill and I'm like, damn, that's sub four seconds. Like these are crazy agility numbers. So then I put on Twitter and I'm asking like, has anybody looked at this guy McCollum, like his athletic testing numbers? Is this, like, the best ever? It has to be because that's what I'm seeing. And sure enough, on that the, the RAS or whatever, the relative athletic score, yeah, number one ever is a perfect 10, the best. There's nobody that has ever tested better than him. All right. So that's amazing, especially for somebody with his size. Now, you would like to see those movement skills as far as testing translate to the field, and I don't think they did. Um, I do, when I watch him, he's a big guy. And I do believe that on film, he is more of a big mover, uh, moves a little bit more like like Patrick Sertan. So it's not like it has to be like a negative, right? Uh, he's just not as twitched up as I think his testing numbers would, would allude to. And if you are going to do that, be sound with your technique, be better with your anticipation. Well, I kind of threw out Patrick Sertan's numbers just from a movement skill standpoint. I think they're similar, but... So, Tan, his technique was always on point. Like, it's very rare you see him out of position. It's very rare you see him take a bad step. I mean, he's always getting hands on. His anticipation was really good. McCollum, he needs to improve in that aspect. So, while he's impressed, he opens up the gate too soon. I mean, it's very consistent. And it's like, dude, you don't have to open the gate up. You're 6'3, you got, you know, long arms, you got all this speed, you got all this uh, change of direction ability. Trust your technique. Stay square at the line of scrimmage. Mirror match those guys and get in position to run with these guys. And you can do that. And play lower hip. So, you know, if they do throw it deep, you have to catch up speed to, you know, get in position and knock that ball away. I think, you know, again, this is another guy I would love to get my hands on. uh, pause. I would love to be able to work with because, you know, it's like, man, I, I see all this potential. And, and in, in him, I see things like me, but like uh, a good version of me, right? <laughs> like the, the the version that should be drafted. This is the version that should be playing a long time in the NFL. He has all this athletic ability that I never had, but he just has to trust it a little bit more. So he is a day two guy to me. You got to get him with a cornerback coach that's gonna really focus in on the details of his technique. And the tough thing about the NFL, if if they invest, you know, a higher draft pick in you, they, they will pay more attention to that type of stuff. But really, like cornerback coaches. Their main thing is getting you prepared from a mental standpoint. I think everybody thinks, like, oh, you get to the NFL, they're going to develop you. You know, and it's like, no, nah, that's not really how it works. Like, yeah. you get to the NFL, you have the skill set. Now they just have to make sure that you catch up from the mental aspect of the football game. And with a guy like him, he not only needs the mental aspect of it, he needs the technical part. So get with a great trainer in the offseason that will work with him, a uh, guy that's going to really hone in on uh, the details of press coverage. You know, alignment, understanding, leverage and things like that. And if you could do that, then we're, we're talking about somebody that could play a long, long time in the NFL. And I mean, maybe a guy like Wink will see some of Jimmy Smith in, right. in a guy like this, because that's kind of what he reminds me of, that bigger corner like that. But he's got to get a little bit better from a technical standpoint.
2: Yeah, and I've heard some people even compare, in some ways, Ahmad Gardner's body type, Sauce Gardner's body type, to Jimmy Smith, So, and that's kind of why people have been like, oh, he can get his next Jimmy Smith, but that's Zion McCollum out of Sam Houston State, and look, if you're a bet on traits guy, and I am, sounds a whole lot like a bet on trades kind of player, Zion McCollum out of Sam Houston State, yeah. so he's certainly on my radar now, wasn't before this podcast, and I'm excited about everything you just said there, man, that got me real amped up about the possibility of the Giants landing this guy, and just his possibility in the NFL. We want to transition a little bit and talk safeties. And it's funny because you said that you love this safety class. And so do I, man, I think this is one of the most fun safety classes I've ever watched. I think this is the best safety class I've seen since I've done it, which really leads me to believe. And I know there's this huge debate. I'm curious where you stand on this too, Croc, if you want to touch on this about the importance of safety. And if you should be drafting safeties early, and yeah, the positional value, this and that yet every single time you talk to either The offensive coaches, the defense coaches, defensive coaches say, I can't do anything schematically without good safeties that are interchangeable. And at least two of them, the offensive coaches say, I teach my quarterback to read the safety first. So it seems to me like the safety is super important. A lot of people don't believe that. So we can start with Kyle Hamilton, because obviously I think he's, he's our safety one. I wonder if he's your safety one. Um, and that kind of goes into the, the the kind of overall 30,000 foot view thing I just threw out there, which is like. Do you want to take a guy like this in the top seven, in the top five, when you could, you know, should you be taking safeties, off-ball linebackers, running backs this high? How good can Kyle Hamilton be, and can he kind of break the mold of the positional value argument?
3: I think, you know, if you would to asked me this at the beginning of the draft process, I was like, heck yeah, man, you take him in the top five, take him in the top ten, or, you you know, you look at a team like Houston Texans and like, oh, man, they play a lot of too high, they can utilize him. And I still think they can, but no, he's not my safety one now Ooh, I like uh I, I really like him I think he is a terrific football player. I think people are definitely going to be enamored with the the size 64 220 pounds that's terrific. I do think he runs better than what we saw with the testing numbers I mean first it was four five nine and that was on a fast track right like everybody's blazing fast 40 times uh he didn't he ran four five nine a lot of people are disappointed by that then he followed that up running out of his pro day four seven and four seven four, those were the official numbers from his pro day. That ain't good. Right. And I feel like there's something to that. Now you can hear some excuses come out. Well he stopped preparing for for the for, well if he stopped preparing for it, why'd he run? <laughs> you know, like that, that doesn't make any sense. So I think it just ran slow. And that is something that'll worry me a little bit. A guy like him that is is as long as he is uh with his movements and things like that. You know, how does he fit in today's game? At the safety position, is he going to come down and just be kind of like this thumper guy? Or are you going to ask him to do a whole lot of match? A lot of teams are going to quarters and too high, especially on early downs. Is he a guy that can match um, guys in the slot? Can you play him in the slot like you can some of these other safeties? Uh, you know, I think he is a guy that can drop down and do some things very well. I I go on this podcast once a week uh, with uh, Tony Pauline, and Tony Pauline actually thinks he's more of. An outside linebacker now tony was on this before any testing so there are people that have kind of fallen off after, after the testing tony before the testing was like i don't see it <laughs> i don't think he's like the prospect that they think he is i think he's more of an outside linebacker type guy where you can do a lot of different things with him from there obviously to see the playmaking ability that he had at uh Notre Dame, and you know, we could say something similar to a guy like Simmons, that from Clemson, that got drafted to the Arizona Cardinals. He ended up being a linebacker, more of a middle linebacker, and I mean, he made the plays where he showed great range and ball skills and things like that. They still were like, oh, you're a linebacker, much bigger than Kyle Hamilton. uh, As far as weight, I think he had like 15, 16, 17 pounds on Kyle Hamilton, but I I think he could play safety. I just think that you got to make sure that your scheme fits exactly what his strengths are from a movement skill standpoint and an ability standpoint with how the lack of, you know, 40 time, which there is something to that translates to the NFL.
1: See, that is very interesting. I thought that Kyle Hamilton, I, I didn't mind the 40 time to be honest, I still saw somebody with range and instincts to be able to cover somebody who can drop down and run support and fill and wasn't a liability in that area at all. Do you want him to handle single high responsibilities? I mean, he did at Notre Dame, but I can understand why maybe that's not going to be ideal at the next level. But like you said, with the Houston Texans who play a lot of too high, I think he can easily execute a deep half responsibility. I mean, that's that's how I view Kyle Hamilton. I was high on him, but I do want to ask you, Crocky, who is your number one Safety and is it Daxton Hill? <laughs>
3: it is not Daxton Hill, but I do love Daxton Hill. And if I was braver, I would put Daxton Hill over That's what Hamilton. I
2: threw in there just because I'm a big Daxton Hill fan. But <laughs> yeah, it's all here.
1: I,
3: I love Daxton <laughs> Hill. Again, if I was braver, he is my safety too. All right. I, I just, I feel like the politically correct answer is to be like, oh, kyle Hamilton's my two, you know, <laughs> even though I don't have one because everybody else is one. But um, my one is Lewis Cena out of Georgia.
2: Okay. Hmm. Talk about uh
3: You know, you just – it pops, man, like just the ability. And uh from a coverage skill standpoint, you know, I was watching them, And, again, I always like to go to, man, who's the best that this guy played? And what does it look like there? No, I'll, I'll watch him against the other teams, but I want to see you against the big dogs. And when you watch him against Alabama and his ability to play cover four out in space and sit on a route, not be worried about the vertical threat, turn around with a guy, get in position, get his head around, knock the ball away – uh, the the space that he closes, you know, guys running, crossing around. He's coming from the other side of the field. He comes down full speed. He's smashing in the guys. You see the range from that standpoint. Uh, he's not the biggest guy. I think he has much more twitch. I think his change of direction is better than the Kyle Hamilton. Uh, again, the pure cover skills to where if I'm like, all right, I need you to go down and play man on this guy, uh, no matter what type of guy it is, whether it's a little slot, whether it's a big tight end, no issues there. I still think that there's you know room for improvement in his overall game. But clearly, I'm extremely high on the upside of what he is. It, it's all there. It's all there. Uh, now it's just, you know, wh- where is he going to go? I, I think there's still, you know, second round. But if Eric Crocker was picking, he'd be the first safety taken off the board.
2: And that could be a target for the Giants at 36. I think a lot of these safeties could be. Um, we talked about Hill. If you want to touch on that, that's fine. I'm a huge Hill fan. Another player I want to get your take on from the safety class is a player that I'm a big believer in, and that's Jalen Petrie out of Baylor. I'm curious to get your t- thoughts on him. I feel like he's got it all, and I feel like I've said this in the past, but when I watch Baylor defense, he was the alpha of that defense despite playing defensive back position. And so I'm curious to get your take on him as another potential guy who can be you know, maybe a round one value that you can get in round two.
3: Yeah, so Petrie and Hill, very – very similar in the sense of like the spot that they played in, yeah. both kind of like nickel guys, right? And it's like well, they're listed as safety, but they played primarily lined up right. in the slot, right? Like ninety percent of their snaps came from there. Uh, Petrie, let's start with him. I think the the, the change of direction, the, the fluidity, all that's there that that's great. He remind me more of. And and this is not a knock on his coverage skills. I I think those are solid. I think some of the things that they did and how they set it up for him with playing some match stuff where he kind of wall off a guy and if he had to come inside, he'd flip and turn with him. If he went outside, he could pass that off and then kind of see what comes to him and kind of catch those routes. But – He blitzed a lot off the edge and it kind of reminds me of Jamal Adams, right? And I'm not, again, I think, you know, the crazy thing is if you say like Jamal Adams, that's like a negative now. And it's like, no, like Jamal Adams is a pretty damn good football player. And he might have this liability and coverage out in space. And maybe that's where Petrie might have him. And maybe Petrie's not as great around the line of screens, but I think he's dang good. He's got to chase uh, things down from the backside, making tackles. They had no issues sending him on blitzes where there was a run play, pass play. Uh, he was very physical and aggressive from that standpoint Uh, you know again you have the nickel uh, ability the one thing I didn't quite see is like you know too high single high you know can he transition to the NFL doing those things but you look at a guy like Javon Holland and Holland played kind of that same role where he was kind of this star nickel type guy Minka Fitzpatrick kind of like that role and I think both Minka and Javon Holland have transitioned extremely well to more two-high, single-high type stuff, guys that play primarily in the nickel. So uh, for both Daxon Hill and Jalen Petrie, I don't see why they can't make a similar transition and and, and have some success. Their, their, their games are a little different. I think, you know, I talked about Jamal Adams with Petrie, and Adams, like, bigger, and I think he was, like, more athletic as far as testing goes. But Petrie – uh The bigger guy, but Daxon Hill, smaller guy. He reminds me a little bit more of like Tyron Matthew. And yeah. and I know people like you know they get outrageous with the comps. I'm not saying these guys are going to be Jamal Adams <laughs> or T- uh, Tyron Matthew, but just in the sense of their play style, right? Like what what it looks like. They they might not ever be that, but what it looks like and and, and how I feel. Okay, if it translates to the NFL, it could. Looks something like this. I think Hill has a little bit more Tyron Matthew to his game. Whereas, I man, I'm a pure cover guy. Hill, if y'all really needed me to, I probably could play outside as well. I could play in the slot. I could play all the zones there. He's tremendous with his ability to play slot off coverage. Man, run with slot fades. Play press. Run with slot fades. I bring up slot fades a lot because I just think the NFL, they're really trying to attack that area of the field with single high safeties and run more slot fades. So having a guy that can turn around with those, that's that's pretty good. Right? Here's another guy, Jimmy Ward, right? Like that's why I see with Daxon yeah. Hill, Jimmy Ward. Um not the biggest of the guy. I think Daxon Hill is probably like 192 pounds, like 5'11. He's not really big. I think that's similar to Jimmy Ward, but Jimmy Ward probably the most underrated safety in the NFL. I'm not just saying that cuz I cover the 49ers, I'm a fan, like he is that good and he does so much. He just doesn't have the interception numbers. You Look at Daxon Hill and I think people are going to value him in that same way where it's like, man, Whatever we need him to do, if he wants to be a too high safety, uh, be you know be able to run with the quarters and, and, and things like that and be able to match guys running vertically, if we want to play him a man on the slot and do some of those things that the 49ers do on third down with Jimmy Ward, you can do those things with Hill a little bit more so than what I've seen from Petrie. But Petrie, a little bit more of that uh, that Jamal Adams ability or, or style that I've seen. And I have a guy who tips me off on uh, South Carolina – and Baylor players. He was one of my former teammates with the New York Jets. And uh, he's been a coach for South Carolina Strength and Conditioning, South Carolina uh, Strength and Conditioning Baylor. Now he's with the Rams uh, Strength and Conditioning. But he's always like, hey, this guy, he's been so high on Petrie. I mean, he's like crock. He's amazing. I mean, I'm telling you, I haven't been wrong yet. And he hasn't. told me about Debo Samuel coming out. He's like – just do Debo Samuel, like you know. We see what Debo is now, right? He told me about J.C. Horn. He's like, man, Croc, everybody's talking about that six four corner. uh, uh Izzy, um, a yeah. move uh, or whatever? Everybody's talking about him, but you know the the, the guy is J.C. Horn. That's the alpha. He's been the alpha in his room from day one. He's the guy everybody should be talking about, and so he has never steered me wrong. He is that high on Jalen Petrie.
1: We love Jalen Petrie and and Daxton Hill on this podcast. And Crocky, we've talked about some of the top safeties already, but one name that we left off is Penn State's Jaquan Brisker. What did you think of his film?
3: I like Brisker. Now I got to watch a little bit more on him. And it's like, man, it's been a long process. You should have already seen everything you need to see from all these Oh, it's impossible to see everything. There's so much much film out there and so many prospects. But Brisker, one thing I felt like, and again, sometimes I'll compare things to 49er players because – when I'm explaining to some of the fans or, you know, draft shows, that's just the easiest way for them to understand it. But he reminds me of, uh, 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 Tart. All right. Okay. Well, Tart is a guy who is very versatile in his ability. He's this big guy that can run. He plays well. He tackles well. Uh, I don't think there's like this pure weakness to his game. Do you ideally want him at a single high? Probably not. Can he play it? Yeah, he can. Uh, Definitely can play two in. Do you want him to be just manned up on slot receivers? Maybe maybe not, right, smaller guys. But can he guard tight ends, things like that? Yeah. And can he play in that box and do those things and be good versus run? Yes. And that's what I see when I see Brisker, the way he's able to fly around, the way he comes in, uh, just the contact that he's able to create. I saw him anticipate this one throw where he gave up the catch I know a lot of people are like, well, he gave the catch-up. But to me, it's like, man, you know, did you contest it? Uh, are you there to uh, potentially make a play on the ball? Because I know eventually that ball is going to come out. He was right there. I think even he thought he was going to have a pick on that play. And it was all from pure like, reaction and playing it honest, but still with anticipation where he almost broke that up. So I see some things there where I'm like, okay, I like him. There are a lot of people that are like, really high on like, Nick Cross. I have Brisker over Nick Cross. Um, and then there's another safety I just watched out of, out of Bur- Florida. Me, I mean, no,
1: no. Bell.
3: Yeah, Bell. Like him. I mean, if you're looking for that guy, first of all, athletic freak with how he tested, but you're looking for another thumper guy that can play around the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, he can, he's definitely more athletic enough to do two high single high type stuff, but you want him in that around that box, a guy, you know, sniffing out runs, things like that, chasing guys down, uh, he's another guy, I think. Him and Brisker they have a kind of a similar uh, skill set.
1: Uh, do you have any late round sleepers that you like, Crocker, at the safety position?
3: Yeah, man. Uh, uh McKinley out of Oregon, mm-hmm. all right. Now, again, you know, the NFL, the they height, weight, speed, they're, they're into all of that. And for a safety, 5'11, 192 pounds, I believe it was, he ran a 4.65. So, you know, if you were Daxon Hill, who's blazing and all these other guys that can run, but you are, you know, 5'11, 197 pounds, okay. But 4'6'5 at that, not ideal. But he was one of the guys, you know, when you talk about interceptions, he's up there at the top of the league or in the nation. My, my, dog, my, my dog right here. Hey, man, chill out. Lay down. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. He's making all that noise in the background. But, um, uh, Veron McKinley, not, not, he didn't test very well. But from an ability standpoint, like the anticipation, for everything that you need to be good when you're not as athletic or big, he has that. He does come in. He will try to lay hat on guys. He will knock balls loose. Uh, He had, what, six, seven interceptions last season. So he has playmaking ability, and he's getting that with anticipation, not just guys that are just having all these poorly thrown passes attempted towards him. I think they kept it a little safe with him at Oregon. They'll do some single high stuff, some two high stuff. But when he came down, he, you know, reroutes concepts, things like that. I think he does all those things very well. The the lack of size for for someone that's not fast might hurt him a little. But, you know, you talk about a late round pick. I think a guy like Roman McKinley, he's a guy I really like.
1: Another yeah. late round pick too, Crocker that I just want to ask you about just because we're talking about an interception machine is Baylor's JT Woods. He was the one who uh, came away with the interception at the end of the senior bowl, just a pick magnet, probably going to be a day three pick because of some physical deficiencies. Do you have any information on Woods?
3: Not yet. I'll get to him soon though. Mm-hmm. And I know where, I mean, I, I watched him at this, I was there all senior bowl week. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I watched him during the practice and everything, but not enough. I haven't watched his film yet. I need to get to him and Kalen Barnes, that cornerback.
2: Yeah, and we didn't hear anything about him from your insider guy, so eh, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know. He didn't
3: say, you know, I can look right now. I ain't gonna do it. I ain't gonna do it. But yeah, yeah he, no, no, but Petrie right was the guy. I think I brought up Woods. Yeah. Petrie's the guy.
2: And I've heard that from a lot of people. A lot of people around that staff have said, I've seen com, I've seen like articles on it. I've seen, I've heard podcasts where people have mentioned it. he's that dude there, Jalen Petrie. And before we get you out of here, because we do want to be cognizant of your time, last year you gave us a lot of fun and ultimately really good takes on the wide receiver class. Do you have anything – because, look, when you're evaluating these corners and these receivers, it's kind of, they kind of go in line. Do you have any hot takes or any takes or anything you want to drop about the receiver class?
3: Uh, I think this receiver class is a little bit more straightforward. Yeah. Um, I Last year I got crushed after the process because – I didn't have Jamar Chase as my wide receiver. One, I had him at wide receiver two, but I guess that makes it like I hate him. No. I guess, I it's like, oh, like, he's a, wide he a thousand two. balls with wrong. Joe Burrow prior to 20- were, <laughs> right. It's like you <laughs> like, were so wrong about Jamar Chase. Eat that look, guys, because, like, dude, everything I said, he was like he is that at the NFL level. Now, did I expect maybe to the extent? No, and those are things you know you're not quite sure how it's going to transition. But a lot of people said generational prospect. I didn't quite see that. I thought he had some separation uh, issues uh, on underneath routes. I thought you know struggled to get off a of press, and I feel like all those things are true. And I think those things are still true, but it just didn't matter. He was able to win <laughs> despite that. And if you look at how a lot of his production came, it wasn't on you know slants. Oh, I'm beating press and I'm catching slants. Or, oh, they're impressed, and I'm running a comeback, and I'm just beating the guy. Like, where he was winning on go route, go route, back yeah. shoulder, go route, and post did yeah. an occasional slant where it's like, okay, I beat Marlon Humphrey. Like, great, that was great, killed him, killed him, right? But if you look at like what was his game predicated on, like some of the things where I was like, you know what, this might be an issue. I think it kind of was at some point in the season where he had like four or five games where he didn't eclipse 50 yards. It's like, well, said Oh, you know, we're gonna take away the big ball, we're gonna play more too high. How are you gonna beat us now? And I think he kind of had to find his way in the sense of still being able to win while not being the best pure separator route runner underneath. So I got a lot of slack on that, but uh, flack on that, but I, I think I was more right. It just it just didn't matter
2: did not knock yourself for that because, look, he's the only one who got to come into the class with the quarterback he played with in college and the quarterback okay. he threw a thousand balls with before their 2019 season. You put him on any other team, and I don't think his rookie season looks like that. I'm pretty – I'm standing by that because the, I'm a big believer in rapport when it comes to these receivers. Uh, and No one else got that in this class that he got.
3: And, and that was one thing as well. As I said, man, he's going to have to go to a team – that's going to trust because he doesn't really create that separation. You're going to have to really trust that he's just going to make the play. And obviously the magic that he and, and uh, Joe Burrow made at LSU, they just kind of picked up where they left off. But as far as this class goes, uh, no crazy takes. I mean, my wide receiver one is Jameson Williams. I, I Same, love him. Yeah. I don't care about the injury. He's young. He, he'll, he'll recover. <laughs> he'll be just fine. That wouldn't, that wouldn't deter me from taking him in the first round at all. I think he's explosive. I think his change of pace is terrific. His ability to split coverages, his ability to split two highs, his route running. Everybody's going to talk about his speed, but I think his route running is an underrated element of his game. Maybe it's not as loosey goosey as, like, uh, you know, Jerry Judy or something, uh, but just from a pure, like, ability to kind of really sell the goal route and different things and win and catch slants and take it to the crib. Very sudden, twitched up. Love his game. My receiver too. However, now this might be a hot take, but it's Christian Watson. But here, here's Ooh, the I thing. I love it. It, it could be, it could be Christian. Okay, I said this about my wife, right? Like my wife is white, and people are like, "Oh, you just like the white girls." And I'm like, "Like, man, my wife could have been anything. She could have been <laughs> white, black, uh, Mexican, Arabian, whatever. Right? She could have been anything." And my wide receiver, too, kind of in this class, kind of the same thing. I feel like my wide receiver, too, it could have been Olave. It could have been Garrett Wilson. It could have been <laughs> Traylon Diggs. It could have been, you know, and I know that's a little bit of a cop-out, but I just kind of view those guys kind of in a similar realm. Now, what do I like about Christian Watson? Um, obviously, the when you watched him, and I watched him a ton, you know, because of Trey Lance, just popped off the screen. Like, just big play after big play after big play. And I always look at guys like that with him, D.K. Metcalf. And I don't want to compare him to D.K. Metcalf who did it in the SEC, right, and just kind of destroy some guys. But 6'4", 210 pounds, running four threes, you don't see that a whole lot, right? Like those aren't guys that just grow on trees and are fluid movers, right? Because Christian Watson has that too. He's a very fluid mover. They did a lot of different things with him. Um, They do the little Debo Samuel end around stuff with him and he's outrunning everybody to the end zone, scoring touchdowns, Um, you know, his ability to run downfield. I think he can, he can work on playing faster to sell his underneath routes more. Like if there's one area of somebody's like, Hey man, he's raw at this. Like I think he can do a little bit more to sell vertically pushing routes and uses people because I think DK Metcalf did a terrific job of that. But aside from that, I know there's some people that have questions about his hands and stuff like that. Like he had a high drop rate, whatever. Are you going to make plays for me or not? And he's definitely a playmaker. Uh The one thing I did question, well, he's running away from guys. And, you know, this the combine hadn't happened yet. And I'm like, is, is it really that speed guy? And can he win in different ways? Is it just because he's playing in the FCS? So I went and watched him at the Senior Bowl week, and he was one of my uh, focus players, and he was dominant. He was the best receiver there. So there are a lot of people that are going, oh, FCS. But it's like, well, he went and played against a lot of FBS corners, and then it didn't matter whether he beat a guy with strength, coming back, catching the ball away from his body, uh, vertical, which – he was beating guys left and right vertically, but the, it was raining one day and the ball was slipping out of the quarterback's hands and things like that. But he ran, he won with underneath routes, showed some twitch, some separation, being able to stack guys and break his routes off. So there's a lot to like. I still think he needs to take that next step. He might have against him being a little bit older. I think he's like 23 years old. So some people might knock that, but I just think it's just hard to find guys that are that tall, that fast, that fluid. And I could see his game immediately being like, you know, Valdez gambling or something like that, you know. And then it's like, well, can you get better from there? We'll, we'll see. But uh I just value that. I just value that. But that might be like my biggest hot take, I guess, in my receiver class.
2: I love it. Olave, I
3: don't have Olave in the top five. But again, he could, he could easily be there. And there are a lot of people like, oh, yeah, this list is stupid. I'm not paying any attention to this. And I'm like, just because the guy's not in the top five, like, they're, they're, I feel like there's 10 guys that could be top five yeah that's like the receiver conversation in the nfl right now like is debo samuel a top five receiver and it's like you can have him top five some people will some people won't but there are about five other guys that you can say are top five as well so i think this receiver class coming out it's the same thing where i think is it's, it's talent that like, top 10 i think it's pretty damn
2: good yeah i love it i think if you're looking at this class you Watson gives you something that a lot of these guys don't give you. That's one thing you, you can say. You may not say, "Oh, he's a skilled a route runner as Olave. Oh, he can, uh, you know, win jump balls like a Drake London. But he that raw speed, that fluidity that you talk about, teams want that. That gives you such an advantage from a schematic standpoint. So I do want to th- leave you on this, Croc, and talk to your guy. Talk to your inside guy at Baylor because I got a guy in this class who I think is the best value in the class at any position. I think he should be going in round two. And I think he will actually go on day two, though he's discussed as a day three guy. And he gives you a lot of what you just said. Insane length and insane speed. 4'2", 8", 40-yard dash at six foot four, But yet, you watch him. So you think, oh, this guy. And then this is what I love about him. You think, oh, this guy is just going to be a track star when I watch him. And that's Taekwondo Thornton, by the way, the receiver out of Baylor. But then you watch him, and you're like, this dude is a baller. This dude will make plays at the catch point and be physical at the catch point. He will pluck stuff out of the air that you're like, wow! He just adjusted his body, like the red zone route he ran. Forgot who was against now, nickel, nickel. Remind me, boy. He has to adjust to a ball thrown behind him in the red zone, and he's just so fluid in doing it. I want to get your. T- I, you can talk to me later. You can DM me later about this. I'll, I'll follow up with you about this. But I don't know if you've heard anything yet on Thornton or if you got a chance to watch him because I think this dude is the most underrated player in the class.
3: i I'm, I might be there with you, and I gotta watch maybe a couple more games to to be as. Feel like that strongly about him being the most underrated player in this class, but I do think that and, and, and people do this right again. I reference a lot of 49 players, I know y'all Giants fans don't care about him, these guys, but George Kittle, right? George Kittle is so good at run blocking that people undervalue his ability to be a route runner, right? Debo Samuel is so good at being a Swiss army knife, you know, and he they can use him at running back and they do these different things with him. That it's like he's labeled a gadget. Player, even though he had 1,400 yard receiving and had like a thousand receiving yards through like nine games. Right. And I think Tyquan Thornton, his thing is going to be because he ran a 4 2 8 and he's at Baylor. Oh, he's just a speed guy. But no, he definitely has more twitch than that. He definitely has more studying I think his ability to track in balls down the field was terrific. His ability to make contested catches with bodies around him was terrific. I think his short area quickness to win in the red zone and and where a guy where you're thinking he's going to be more of a strider. It, it was terrific seeing him win in short quarters like that, be able to catch the ball again away from his body. That's something I value. Uh, you know, what else did I see from him? Uh, there's one more thing. Oh, he played as fast as his 40 yard dash. Yep. And when you see a guy like, let's say, Christian Watson, who he hasn't, there's sometimes where I'm like, whoo, Christian Watson, you're fast there, but maybe he's not always fast. he got to learn how to play faster, right? You look at Tyquan Thornton, and it's like, he always plays fast. And he can work the top of his routes a little bit better. But hey, when you run a 4-2-8 and guys are threatened by that 40-yard dash speed and you play with that, you don't have to be as great at the top of your route as maybe a, you know, Devontae Adams or one of these guys that run like 4 five, five or something, right? Like, man, I got to be a little bit better getting in and out of my breaks because I got to sell these routes a little bit better. Well, Tycoon Thornton, he's going to sell everything with his speed. And he plays fast. He gets behind defenders. I mean, if his quarterback had a bigger arm, I mean, it would have been bombs away all day. So if he can go to a team where a quarterback has a big arm and they able to take advantage of that, you you got something. You got something there. I like him. Mind me like Mike Wallace.
2: Oh, I okay. like that. But I kind of see that. I kind—I definitely can see it, especially with the body type that he does have a little Mike Wallace to him, which is Mike Wallace. For a while, was a hell of a player in the NFL. By the way, just I'm saying this is not a day and everything you just described to me. Again, I just don't see how that's ever going to be a day three prospect to me. That's that could be even day one potentially. He won't go day one, obviously, but. Man, I love his upside. So thank you for confirming that a little bit, Crocker. Get your inside scoop from your guy, your strength and conditioning guy. I do want yeah. to hear what he thinks about him. But anyway, thank you so much for joining us on the Big Blue Bender podcast again, my man. Where can everyone find your work and anything you want to promote right now?
3: Oh, man, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Eric underscore Crocker. Uh y'all probably not really into the 49er stuff, but I do have I do host the locked on NFL draft show with myself and my co-host Ryan Tracy. We come at you five days a week on the Locked On Network. So make sure y'all tune into that. We got the whole draft covered. Uh we'll be out there in Dallas at the Techno Station out there for the draft. So um, we'll be recording live, and you'll get our live reactions for everything going on with the NFL draft. So, locked on NFL draft. Make sure y'all listen to it on uh, whatever streaming platform you use or uh, YouTube. You can subscribe and listen there as well.
2: Good stuff. All right. Thanks to everybody joining in. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.